0: He actually believes in all this shit <laughs> and, and he said they do the Soviet man was very worried and said they've the Soviets have long given up on this and they've got one partner that continues to believe and it's this lot here which turned out to be prescient <laughs> <laughs>
1: so uh, we are of course live <laughs> with uh, uh, Franz Cronier, and this is uh, Two Crickets in a Thorn Tree, the smoothest glass of Amarillo for your mind. I am uh, half of your host, Nicholas Lorimer, joined as ever by the other half of your hosts,
2: Gabriel Krauser.
1: And that story you just heard was told to us, it was part of uh, a story told to us by Franz Cronier, who's our very special guest today, we are very happy to have. And the reason you got in halfway was because Gabriel was shouting at me to press record while France told the story because it was such a good story.
0: Frantz, how are you? They are good stories. They come out of the, the long history of um, this part of the world. And uh, maybe when, one day when everyone has, has sort of passed on, there might be a whole lot of them written down, nice. which will, be, will fascinate people. They, they will really have to take stock and sit down and reconsider the way the world is put together because it doesn't make any sense. But it's great to Indeed. be here, guys. Listen Keanu, to the very show, to you. so great. Being on it for once is wonderful.
1: <laughs> well, we hope we, that's an enjoyable experience. As, as I'm sure you've uh, noticed by now, we tend to go on tangents and wander around sort of
2: like we're lost in a blizzard of thought. Yes, which is, so, which is such a wonderful alternative to being sort of lost in an act of load shedding. Uh, oh, yes. Um, I've got that at eight today.
1: Uh, Do you think the grid is going to collapse?
2: I mean, things must be really bad if they're load shedding just before the election. I don't know. I think it's the perfect sort of denouement to this this grand distinction between the DA trying to cancel load shedding by building up power production independent capacities and then saying, look, you know, this is going to take a while, but we can demonstrate the success along the way. We got our people one level of load shedding. Uh, And in places, there's no load shedding. Michael Morris, our colleague, hasn't had any in two years. Terrible, terrible jealousy. And on the other hand, very bitter about that. uh, The 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 ANC and Joburg said, "No, we're going to cancel load shedding by just saying so."
0: Nick, I think it depends.
2: (laughs) And then it got worse.
0: (laughs) I think it depends, Nick, on how Eskom withstands the political pressure not to load shed. We, we may, if the economy begins to show any modest growth, be in a position of permanent load shedding, sort of between stage four, two and four. Uh, that, that, of course, then kills off the growth, which means that the lights go on again because demand has fallen. But my, my sense is that if, if there's any attempt at reform here and we do get some modest growth in the economy, then permanent load shedding is the is the new condition. If the political pressure for that uh, gets such that ESKIM's executives bow to ANC pressure, then it does become plausible that you see a grid collapse uh, under pressure. And the fact that that we're being loadshed now to uh, days, hours before an election, hugely damaging to the ANC shows you how serious the problem is and how strongly the writer and colleagues are standing up to the pressure of the ANC and the cabinet and uh, the the message there i guess is if you force us to to cut the load shedding then the complete collapse of the South African grid is now in place and so that's how close we are to real electricity problem
2: yeah i don't know i i i like playing the role of being the only guy who 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 uh, speaks out against the look? Andre Dereta is criticised for all kinds of bad reasons, um, but I do think that there's a little <laughs> bit of fair criticism of him. I'm still an I'm still carrying the flag for Andre Carlitz, who should have been the Escom CEO, um, and the the small the data point. Of the Andrew Karlitz, uh faction here. <laughs> yes, I am, and 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 by the way, you know, Business Day, Financial Mail. Times media, everyone in IOL, everyone agreed Carlos would be best until he was decided uh, against. And uh, then suddenly it became kind of taboo to mention his name. Anyway, the point is that we dropping down to load, load shedding level three is apparently almost unprecedented. And this is partly because the the ESCOM's generating capacity steps up and steps down in fixed increments, And so going from zero to two and two to four is a real difference that they can make in terms of what they turn off and what they turn on. Uh, And one and three are kind of um, funny in between zones where it's when you're at three, it could be like you're you're playing it really safe. You could be at two, but you're playing it really safe at three. Or it could be that you should be at level four, but you've decided not to switch off more stuff. So you're kind of hoping that there's no stochastic event to trigger you over the edge, like you're hoping that all the sort of house moms don't turn their kettle on at the same time because <laughs> <you>. <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's a, a bit of a uh, So they are standing up against it, like there is still low shedding. They're not completely th- throwing the dice into the wind, uh, but I'm, I'm not sure that they're perfectly firm. I think there's already yes, some. Yes, no. Signs. I,
1: I think I think that's a very good, uh, very good point. Can uh, I
0: can I tell you a story ahead, about once. this? Yeah, go ahead. I'll be telling stories now. Many years ago, um, there was a meeting at Eskim and and I was well there were a lot of people there, and it was to discuss the future of the grid and um, a man presented and said, what exactly what we're experiencing now, that there is a afraid very diplomatically and very professionally that it looks like we're going to run out of electricity. And we're going to get into real trouble, and the lights might go off. And I sat there as a, as an outsider, thinking, you know, good Lord, this is a this is a hell of a thing that that we're seeing. And um, the presentation was very compelling. And then there were questions, and a hand went up from a, an Eskom staffer. And, I sort of, and he said you know what I've been looking at this presentation and in the corner of the slide you had photographs of people and there were more black white people in those pictures than black people And this is a very serious problem because because escom's meant to be you know and then then I mean if you thought the first message was to wake you up the second message that the con- first concern expressed is that they the the photographs aren't racially representative. And you know, you sit in a period like now, before an election, where the ANC's put out a statement, as it did yesterday or the day before, asking why the lights are off. I mean, it's it's. I mean, to have I like do, such things with your own eyes, yeah. to see the stupidity, and the <laughs> arrogance, and the way that the racial blindness just, I mean, bewitched the. The commentariat and, and, and the like. Eskom in those years was winning awards. I think one was for the most transformed uh, power utility in the world, or, or the equivalent. Very proud of that. Yeah. And meanwhile, but the other the one other was for the look at electricity most data, cheapest. And what the had other award was the e-
2: cheapest electricity generation in the world. In the, in the <laughs> it had
0: become a, a social engineering enterprise as opposed to an engineering enterprise that supplied electricity. And, and it was measuring, measuring race instead of kilowatts, or megawatts, or whatever you generate <laughs> in the And here, there's a can consequence I... of, of that. Um, and and yeah. It can is I, can amazing. I just read from that
1: ANC yeah. statement because it is so fun. Yeah. And I read some of it on the Daily Friends show, but it, it, it was just great. The ANC is further concerned that the announcement made by ESCOM coincides with the first day of final examinations for thousands of matriculants across the country who must have the opportunity to study and write their exams uninterrupted by power outages. Given the inconsistency in information and assurances received from the utility, the ANC is by all intents and purposes quite concerned that these acts may be the deliberate actions of some within ESCOM for political ends. To this extent, the ANC demands unequivocal answers on the current state of power supply. The mixed messages and lack of public transparency and accountability witnessed are the source of grave concern and suspicion. It is also a direct affront to the ANSI's commitment in our manifesto to ensure safe and reliable electricity for our communities. For this to be for for this is to be achieved, the ANC calls for leadership and transparency in explaining to South Africans the state of power supply. And in order to make an honest assessment on whether the right skills of leadership are at our disposal at the utility under the current circumstances, the anxiety and disruption meted uh, upon our people by the inconsistency in messaging and failure to take the nation into confidence in the state of
2: the grid must be condemned. <laughs> Dude, what's more crazy? Hold on. That, so it's pretty crazy to think that Andre de Reta has decided to screw over the matrix. And by the way, everyone else who relies on electricity in the hopes that it will embarrass the ANC by fake load shedding. But is that more crazy than Adrian Busson the chief editor of the largest uh, newspaper in the country saying that John Steenhaisen was really sincerely trying to encourage Indians to kill Black people, so that he could win both. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. I don't think it's more crazy. I I don't think the ANC is more crazy than its in bongies, to use uh, a yeah. British no, term. that's
1: that's a really good
2: point. I think they're just about as crazy. And I think this is the problem in a way. Um, uh, France and I are off to put on our tuxedos and go to a cocktail do after this, and I think that. And 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 you very
1: graciously just invited me, but unfortunately, I'm too uh, uh, untimed to
2: attend. Yes, yes, (laughs) Nicholas's beard is even less well trimmed than mine. (laughs) Um, but but I think that the the, I, you know, the difference between the cocktail circuit and home life, I think, is, is a telling one because France was saying, like, you see it before your eyes, you know, people predict. Experts are saying, "Look, we're going to run out of electricity." And then you see it at home. You see it when you're trying to cook. You see it when you're trying to work. You see it when your kids are trying to do their homework. Uh, and it's very real. That difference is very real. But at the cocktail circuit, it's a whole other story because there the pressures aren't so much to be real. The pressures to be hip, to fit into the conversation, to, to say kind of
1: titillating and exciting.
2: Yeah. And 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 really not to question the assumptions that have already been laid out, but to kind of continue what's being said. And I think that, um, yeah, I, I really think South Africa is run by the cocktail circuit and not by by the yeah. by the yeah. home yeah. force. But a nice a nice cocktail circuit just uh, kind of twist on um, what, what France was saying is is the 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 one my favorite Escom cocktail experience was on Lake Kivu in Rwanda, very <laughs> close to the DRC. <laughs> in 2006 uh we were having a chat and there were some old south african Armed forces people there who'd been hired by kigami to make sure that the copper uh was kept very safe and so on uh mm-hmm. and then there were un types and there was also a maitre d and uh, the maitre d and my sister were kind of friends because my sister worked there for a while and we, we she, she sort of joined us uh for an aperitif um and we were talking about uh, Rwanda's problems. And at the time, electricity generation was a huge problem. And it was this catch-22 where, you know, very serious reform after the genocide had stoked major uh, economic growth um, and a little bit of uh, mining interest in, 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 in uh, the Congo as well. And they just didn't have the power to keep up with it. So then the question is, like, how, how do you deal with this? You're, like, dealing with load shedding, um But you you just you have never had the power generation to do this, so you kind of need a lot of money. Then you have to borrow, and then you worry. Like fiscal conservatives worry about borrowing that money, but at the same time, you need money to make money to make the power. So there was a good, like quite quite fiscally conservative argument being made for like, well, here is a good case for borrowing. You need a central government to build utilities to expand production, uh, and then the matre d who was Rwandese uh, Tutsi. Uh, said, yeah, look to all you South Africans. You're so clever, hey? You've got it all figured out for us. You, We are going to end load shedding before you properly begin it, and you guys will probably never end it. And we said, why? And she said, because we, the Hutus and the Tutsis killed each other, and then they realized it's very stupid, and then they moved on. And now we don't talk about that. Now we talk about dollars and euros and... Uh, uh jobs and outcomes and yeah i mean you can't talk about opposition politics there but <laughs> you definitely can talk about efficiency uh she said you guys you guys haven't learned the lesson that we've learned um and uh she was she was she was the exception to the rule that cocktail circuits are completely to be avoided for political wisdom because she saw it even though she didn't see it with her own eyes load shedding in south africa for decades to come okay i, I want to you know, Lot, we, we can, France, flag, France yeah. is going to go ahead. I just want to flag that we are going to pivot to a conversation about American um, local government elections in a minute. Uh, mm. Don't think that this is just going to be about uh, South Africa, but please, France, go ahead.
0: Well, I want to say two interesting things. One is that earlier in, in the week, I was on Roman Kabanak's show, and before that, I phoned Gabriel to ask for something clever to say. And Gabriel was brilliant. And he said to me, What you must say, and I went on and said it, is is that is said, there are two discussions. There's the discussion that takes place in private, in a private family, in a in a private environment, in a private group. Um, and that conversation is quite honest. And it's 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 a decent conversation. The people have respect for each other, there's respect for the truth, it's quite an honest conversation. And then Gabriel said there's the public square in South Africa. And on the public square, all those rules fall away. Here it is it is dishonesty. Here it is, it is, it is playing up racial divisions, when in private those divisions aren't very important to people. And we did this with the, the context of Gareth Cliff on, on, on his show. And I think it was Gabriel, too, who, who asked me had I watched Gareth's whole interview. And at that stage I hadn't, but I was commenting on it. And Gabriel said, you're completely useless to me. He said, if you go and watch it, (laughs) he said, you'll see that almost every accusation leveled at Gareth is false and wrong. It was such a good example of the public square and the private conversation. And related to that, a second interesting thing, relevant to Eskim and our experience over the years is earlier, also this week, I was briefing a financial services firm, which used to do a, a lot of that and now do a lot less because they're scared of of me and what i tend to say um and and it's a real fear and i actually had a lunch today with a banker of sorts who who said to me yeah in their bank group financial group they are under pressure not to be too honest about the state of the economy and um the 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 firm said to me you know you what what's your advice i can't remember how the question came about and i said you know reflecting on a on a on 15 years of briefing Various firms. the The one thing I've probably failed at, or or is is or I failed at, is is getting them to take seriously a lot of the advice that we offered. Because we we put the advice across, such as on on Eskom. We've been writing for a long time. You can just look at a chart. How much electricity does South Africa have the capacity to produce? How much does it produce? And how much you need if you grow the economy? And for the last fifteen years, ten years, it's been blatantly obvious. We don't have enough. And yet you, you get to a moment like this election and, and there's this feigned surprise, this astonishment, this amazement. that this is, How did this happen? You know, no one said. <laughs> and it's, it, it goes back to what Gabriel said about the private and the public square, that in private there's one conversation. In public there's a pantomime that goes on of pretense. We pretend there's a reform movement and we pretend that it's going to introduce reforms, and we pretend expropriation is not damaging, and we pretend that there's enough electricity. And uh, I said to Gabriel, as he was telling me what to say to Roman, you know, (laughs) what what do we do about this? And Gabriel again is very good. He said, you've got to make the private conversation, the public conversation, then only does it begin to end. And I think that's right, and um, it's a great challenge. To to as you, I mean, Gabriel refers to what some of the mainstream media has written about various things over this this past week. Or usually and very often, that mainstream media line is actually the debate of the public square, devoid of fact, a reality, a truth. In in fact, often so far removed from that reality, that that basically has no relevance to the society in which we live. Mm-hmm. So there, Nick. I've said yeah, we,
2: I like a paradigm <clears throat> pretense. That we've is uh, yeah, we,
0: that we've is had a
2: we've, we've expressed it. We've talked about
1: a similar sort of concept before, which is if only the czar knew. Which is also kind of you know keeping up this pretense about how things are structured, which is complete garbage. Although then that that case it was uh, with respect to Cyril in particular, who is. Somehow allowed by the public to constantly be surprised and shocked, and pretend like he just came into government
2: like five five minutes ago. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, we we did a thing on like the the Smuts hypothesis where Cyril is like Smuts, but I feel like we we should do a deep dive into the Haile Selassie hypothesis, where where Cyril's presidency is the most like the last Ethiopian Tsar or king or emperor or whatever who was constantly surprised that people were dying of starvation because he would, he would sort of be led around different parts of Ethiopia and they would suddenly cobble together. Like, you know, they'd throw some food at the area and the people would come out and they'd sing <laughs> and they'd dance and then he'd leave and they'd start they, starving. They'd the well peasants they... to the front, yeah. Yes. Uh, I, I think the
1: title for an Ethiopian emperor is something like a Nagusa Nagat. Let me look that up.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I like I like that you're gonna look it up to like verify that you're right. Because because you're right, Nick. We know you're right. Um uh, I probably forgot. I i wish I knew a lot more about Ethiopia. It's an interesting
1: Nagast. I think. I don't know. I don't know. I'm I'm not I'm not very good at pronouncing uh Aramaic, but you know, whatever.
2: It's a hard thing to do. Okay. Um before we get I... Side like, should we go to America? I think we have to go to America through through Ethiopia and 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 maybe and maybe this idea of some public square versus private private values manners versus morals is another way of thinking about it. Like what 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 are the manners? What are the good rules of court? Who are you supposed to bow to? And what are you supposed to say? And and what are the real morals of of ordinary people? Um, but let's but, but but let's let's not start there. Let's just start with the fact that while South Africans are Deeply interested in this thing called an election, which we nearly didn't have because the Moseneke report said it would be impossible and Lamini Zuma tried to sabotage it and so on. We're getting an election. Um, and that's great and That's a very good thing, yes. And, and, and just, the to, just to,
1: to underline that, the yeah. point, right? Like, uh, we are what, three, four days from the election? Three days? Uh, we're recording this on Friday, elections on Monday. There were. Four hundred and seventy-two cases of COVID detected in tests in the whole and country, and
2: zero and zero academic peer-reviewed journals cited by the Musaneke report to say that elections are <laughs> super spreader events. So you know, you know, you want to know why? Okay, just s- since France very generously did bring up the the private square, the the, the public square, private values um, distinction. I think elections are fascinating precisely because there've been so few super spreader events associated with voting. Because in a way, voting is like the intersection between the two in the sense that voting is anonymous. When people vote, it's like when they answer our polls. No one, your boss doesn't get to know, the the cocktail circuit doesn't get to know. You can lie to them. You can go and vote for whoever you want to vote for. So it's a public expression. Your vote is the most public thing most citizens will do. Mm-hmm. But through the shield of anonymity, people have the chance. And this is the theory behind the anonymous ballot. This is why the anonymous ballot is guaranteed in chapter one of the constitution before the bill of rights, because the, the architects of democracy here and around the world have understood how toxic the sort of peer pressure forces of like fitting in with the narrative can be. And right. how important it is to try and encourage citizens to humble themselves, to like bring their family values or their personal values out in a kind of public way under that protection. The and this is why is it's
1: illegal course- to photograph your ballot. Yeah. Like a lot of
2: people love to do this.
1: They like to photograph, you know, whoever they're voting for. A lot of politicians like to do it. It's illegal, really illegal, precisely because it allows, it's basically an exploit for, uh, uh, for getting around the anonymity. And it's I've I've heard of cases where you know people say okay we'll give you three hundred rand or whatever but you first have to take a photo of your ballot
2: with the right vote on it uh, so on don't it. take
1: a photo of your ballot it's not on
2: but but at the same time because people know that anyway so the point is when people are voting they act very generally very humbly and very yeah. maturely you know, most people it's kind of almost like a sacrosanct thing to do I've only voted once and it was it was quite an intense experience and you could feel the crowd around me was like bit jittery and like they wanted to get through but it was like at the same time it is it's the case well, that most people don't want to expose their hypocrisy so if they're sitting around the dinner table and they're like i want to go one way but then they're sitting with their friends and the cocktail circuit and the bosses and the and the office mates and everyone's like saying go another way and then they say okay i'll go another way too then they go that other way because they feel hooked you know even if your vote's anonymous your affiliation is not necessary you might feel pressure to say where it is and then and then that translates, France, France. Can
0: I ask you why you've only voted once? Because he's lazy. <laughs> I,
2: I, yeah. So part of it is lazy. Part of it is I was like quite precocious as a as a as a nine year old. I remember having fights with Rihanna Milan and Dennis Beckett about why you should vote for the ANC to encourage Thabo Mbeki because he's got the right idea for reforms um in 1999 uh and why i thought it was good for mandela to step down but i was kind of persuaded that he should have sticked around anyway point is i was precocious and i cared about politics forever um but for the most part i was living in america from the age of 19 to 23 24 and a couple of elections fell through there and then the 2016 local government election uh the 2014 national election i was here for that and i didn't vote because arriving back in south africa was such a kick in the teeth in so many ways it was so exciting i mean it it, it was it was quite thrilling um and i was partying a lot in hillbrow and Westcliff, and uh the the contradictions in the social life were thrilling to me but the politics was completely dismal i mean it was just so obvious uh how 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 Zuma was not going to be punished I felt dislocated and then in 2016 I felt like voting um but I I didn't know I wasn't I wasn't I wasn't activated I didn't turn the ideas that I had into a practical action I didn't go and register I didn't go do it then when the day came I felt bitter I was like oh this is so stupid I wish I could go vote but I didn't set myself up for it um so and in some ways I look back on that and I feel really embarrassed and stupid in some ways, I see myself in the data. So many people don't vote in their 20s and start voting in right. their late 20s and 30s. And I and I respect someone who, who, who I mean, let's just be honest. Someone who's going to vote for the EFF in their 20s, but is also aware enough that this is a ridiculous play-play kind of performative public square kind of thing. It's not their real life. It's just a personality that they're wearing to fit in with the crowd. If they're so unserious that they at least follow through with the unseriousness and don't vote, I prefer that to a guy who, who, who then the next day is like, "Well, I told that girl I'm going to vote for the EFF," uh, and she really might as well. That. Yeah. She, she thought I was super sexy, so I better go follow through. <laughs> like that's rubbish. Like waiting until you're old enough to really be confident in your views before you really go vote is how I did it, um, and that's. Well, I've-
1: yeah. I must admit, uh, it's precisely for that reason why I have sort of half-jokingly, half-seriously believed since I was about 19 that the voting age should be 25. Um, you know, it used to be 60
2: me. in the transfer. <laughs> <laughs> South Africa, if the voting age was 60, South Africa would be, the Eskom problem I don't think would be a problem.
1: Yeah, although that we would have a massive crisis because the pension, the state pension fund would be like 90% of the budget.
2: <laughs> I don't think so. I think that there are a lot of seniors in South Africa who, who, who would like to plant the olive tree that bears fruit after they die.
0: But you like, know, if, it, if the if you cut out the sixty pluses so they couldn't vote, then then you the ANC would lose uh, or not... get much closer to losing. A lot of its support is built in that older. The DA also, it's mm-hmm. the same phenomenon. Yeah, but, but that yes would
1: slightly. The DA is I very think In the
0: slightly DA younger. case, it's because like so many younger ones these... have left. In the ANC mm-hmm. case, it's because that older generation is more loyal because it's got the living memory experience of apartheid. Yeah. But no, um, I think, no, I think in absolute
2: terms, way. in absolute terms, you must be right that the ANC would lose the most. But in relative terms, I think the EFF would gain the most.
1: I, I think I'm correct in saying that the bulk of DA support is a bit odd because it sits basically between the ages of 40 and 50. 60, somewhere in that bracket. Mm. Yeah. Uh, so it's basically the sort of middle and
0: age. And the DNC looks kind of similar to that, with the EFF voters split far more in line with the country's demographics. Yeah. But, yeah, if you if you had a, a clever actuary and you tried to manipulate the voting age, you could completely change who governs the country uh, by who what ages could vote and which ages couldn't Um so yeah, I mean different different age groups would produce completely different combinations of government here. Yeah. All right. Uh, which we,
2: which, is a good, which is a good segue to America because the story there the uh, is is about is about something is about age groups in a way. Is about mm. the 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 sense in which uh, you know adults care for children and the state cares for children. Um, and there's kind of a competition between adults and the state to care for the children of Virginia. So
1: Virginia is a weird state in that it has a uh, what they call an off-cycle election. Uh so it's always it's it's election for governor is never at the same time as the presidential or the midterms. It's always like in this uh in between things. So it's often seen as the kind of first political test of a presidency. Um, I know that it was watched very closely when Trump came in. Uh, And likewise, now with Biden coming in um, Virginia, which used to be a swing state, but nowadays is pretty solidly Democrat, uh, or at least that was the theory. uh, It's being watched very closely. And um, despite Biden winning Virginia by something like, what, 10 points, something like that? I think he won it by about 10. It's basically neck and neck in the polls which is a very troubling sign for you if you are a democrat because it suggests that even if the democrat wins by just a little bit for some for some reason the people of virginia have swung by nine or ten points in favor of the republicans and if you if that trend keeps if that holds into next election cycle into the next election cycle which is next year what november i think in a year from now basically Uh, when they have the elections for a third of the Senate and the whole of the House. The Democrats, who are only holding a tall majority in the House by five seats, I think, something like that, five, six, seven seats, something like that, and they're dead tied in the Senate, Mm, I wouldn't want to be them.
2: Uh, A 10-point drop is no good. But is Okay, so here's my question uh, for France and Nick. Is this just a case of... You know, in South African politics, we just saw Media24's data uh, released, much like the CRA's data, the Center for Risk Analysis, um, uh, through Gareth von Onselen. Ramaphosa so almost twice as popular as the ANC. The leader's kind of got a, a major role in determining the popularity of the property party. He's pulling it up. Um, uh, is, is this a case of Biden's lost a lot of popularity because... Afghanistan exit didn't go well and COVID recovery's not been a smooth path? Or uh, is there is there more to it than just like, okay, we don't like Biden as much, so there's a 10-point dip in his popularity, so there's a 10-point uh, dip in the in the Democrat governor's
0: prospects? I want to add just one thing that Nick can tell us. Because Nick's bloody good at this stuff. You, you think he hosts podcasts here and says good South African things. We asked him to write a report before the election in America, about what would happen and who would win. And um, is that publicly available? Nick? Can people find uh, it? Yeah, it is.
1: It was a CRA report, I think, uh, so yeah. it got released.
0: You you won't find, if you go and actually bother to read it, the whole thing, like you should bother to watch Gareth's full video, <laughs> um, you won't find a more accurate prediction of what was going to happen in American politics than what Nick wrote. It was really extraordinary effort of. Of analysis i just want to add and then next the guy so he's gonna to have to answer critical race theory in schools in virginia how much is that a factor in this in the swing away from the democrats nick so i think that's definitely part of the equation i think we're seeing the kind of
1: confluence of three things one is that the party that holds the presidency almost always suffers setbacks in the middle, uh, in in the, the midterms and the thing. So that's it's expected that the Democrats would do it a little bit worse. But then also, as you said, Biden has had a massive drop in his popularity. He went from being pretty well liked by Americans to being about as popular as Trump, uh, which or is about as pretty big, yeah, or about as unpopular as Trump. Um, and the other is the critical race education issue and the fact that the democratic candidate for governor in virginia has basically said that parents shouldn't control the curriculum by which uh, their students are taught in fact he sided with the uh, teachers unions on that point and specifically critical race theory is the uh, the big the big thing there but uh, l- let me just start with the with the biden effect which is, I think, also quite interesting because it's very much ties into this kind of esteem economy point about what's going on inside the Democratic Party. So I think the results of the 2020 election were very clear from what the electorate wanted uh, from, from the Biden presidency. They basically said, look, we don't like Trump and you seem okay, and you campaigned as a moderate so you can be president. But we're only going to give the Democrats a tiny, tiny minority in the House. In fact, the Democrats lost the seats, which was a shock and upset. Um, Yeah, a a lot of split votes. Yeah, a lot of split votes. And the Senate, well, it was almost actually a Republican Senate, but then those Georgia runoff elections went a bit skewed, partly because a lot of Trump voters stayed home. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Because Trump started
2: going around the bend just around then. He he really cost the the Republicans (laughs) the Senate. Right. He
1: said, don't vote because uh, the Georgia Republicans are complicit in my my loss. So uh, all of a sudden, the Democrats end up with this majority in both the Senate, because if it's tied, then the vice president casts tiebreaker votes and um, the, the majority in the House. And Biden, for some reason, despite getting this clear result from the electorate that they wanted a moderate, as he had campaigned for, and they wanted a no political party to be dominant, decided, ah, screw it. We're just going to go full hog on every... There there were whispers about him saying, oh, I'm going to be the new Lyndon uh, B. Johnson. I'm going to be the new FDR. And the Democrats suddenly tried to pass an absolutely massive pile of of legislation. Uh, He decided also that he wanted to be the great ender of wars, so he just ripped everyone out of Afghanistan, but we've talked about that on the show before. And this has really annoyed everyone because what what was on the tin was not what was inside the tin i think and that that has definitely turned off a huge number of independents who were crucial to biden's victory so that's definitely part of what And
2: and the esteem doing. point there i think is something like yeah. that it it that that the democrats have fallen into this race to be the most um the most in favor of large state intervention the most in favor of borrowing a lot the most in favor of social engineering intervention so so Biden's and, chief of staff a guy called Ron Klain is very active on Twitter and he keeps retweeting
1: uh, hardline progressive uh, legislators who talk about sabotaging the bill that Biden is trying to get passed.
2: yeah you <laughs> think and and from my friends, I mean, I've I've done a I did a couple of panels this year with with the U.S. Democrat senators, um, and my sense is definitely that like with very little audiences, that's not going live. Uh, there's a lot of hesitation about pursuing the ultra progressive view, but right. that when they're making public statements, they're hesitant to criticize it. Right, because
1: they know that they'll get uh, a group of activists from the far left on them, who will try and primary them, and, yeah. in, and because of the, the way the, that the American electoral system is shaking up, a primary is much scarier than an election you know, for a lot of politicians. Exactly, exactly.
2: <laughs> and and the and the telling the telling exa- the telling uh, counterexample, the exception that proves the rule, is the I, I'm, his name is slipping my mind right now. The Harvard uh, vice chancellor, we would call him, the head of Harvard, who was expelled for. Um, saying things about gender and biology being connected, um, who what a heretical thought <laughs> ten years ago or twelve years ago, he he's he's like a a, a Democrat uh, economist, and he's he's he was the only guy to, sort of to get airtime on the New York Times in a big way and CNN, saying no, this is not a good idea. You should spend some trillions but not all of the trillions and and he he can afford to do that because his name is already uh smudged in the cocktail circuit so adding <laughs> yeah. more smudge doesn't hurt him yeah he's There's already all of, the guys, redidate, yeah. all of the guys who are pristine want to preserve that by by yeah right so
1: Sorry. so the second point is this interesting thing that's happened with the educational establishment in america so the democratic party internally is very strongly controlled by uh, well, not controlled, but one of its most powerful factions is the teachers' unions, uh, particularly the you know the public public sector teachers' at the unions, and they uh, have, of course, been completely captured by critical race theory for the most part. Um, I am generalising here, and as a result, all across the United States have been attempts to insert critical race theories, texts, texts, um, uh, novels, uh, uh, lines into the curriculum of high school and sometimes even elementary school students. And if you go and look at right-wing media in the US, it's filled with sort of scare stories like this about. Uh, our children, uh, my five-year-old was told that, uh, you know, that that everyone is transgender and everyone has to sit in different race groups at the at the lunch table or something like that. There's, there's plenty of stories like that. And because the American system is so, it's got so many elected positions, uh, what you're seeing is lots of parents. Um, there's often consultation with the with the parents that, that that send their kids to a school as to what's going to be in the curriculum, who's going to be on the school board that does the teaching. And there have been all these hearings where they've discussed critical race theory and parents bucking the esteem economy, bucking the cocktail circuit, have come out and furiously denounced some of the things being taught in these critical race groups. Um and one of the things that the, the kind of soft version that the teachers' unions have tried to peddle is say, well, no, 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 we're just trying to teach a more balanced vision of American history, not one that's all rah-rah, which is a lie because most of the, the things they're pushing in these critical race theory classes are unnuanced, unhistorical garbage. But be that as it may, uh there's also lots of videos of that online if you go look at right-wing media in the US of parents standing up and uh quite notably often are, often sort of uh, black or Latino or Asian American parents saying, what the hell is this? This is un-American. Uh, and that backlash is not really being represented in the Democratic Party at all. It's they're, they're trying to pretend like it doesn't exist. The other day, Barack Obama went out and said, all of this stuff about critical race theory is a boogeyman conjured up by evil right-wing demons. Um, I presume he's talking about people like us, supposedly. But... Yeah. No, definitely. <laughs> Franz Grenier. <laughs> yes. yes. It's, all, it's all conjured up by Franz Grenier. But, of course, that's not true. Um, the, you, the, the Democrats are currently telling a lot of parents, uh, who are a group of people who do vote quite aggressively and actively and are often swing voters, uh, that
2: uh, yeah,
1: they just, mustn't just believe,
2: li- must believe their lying eyes. Soccer moms... Totally, the, the soccer moms were huge, especially in Virginia, actually, were a huge part of Obama's victory. Exactly, uh, exactly. And, uh, and that's and why the fact, they got and Obama the fact to that say they had things, and then their swing, not in absolute terms, but in terms of the swing, they're a big part of Trump's victory. The fact hmm. that some moms were just proportionally on the exit polling, uh, that swing is. Th- maybe the biggest part of what of what pipped it for Trump in 2016. Uh, and this is and, and I think this is like a, a drill down point on on family values. Like the the, the lioness who guards her cubs <laughs> it doesn't matter if the neighbors think this is rubbish, like I'm gonna guard my damn cubs and do what's right. Yeah.
1: Um and so that, yeah. that, that, there's the a good um, oh yeah go ahead
0: Franz. There's a good family values joke about this. Because what you're seeing is the difference between theory and practice. That in theory, you got all the, if you went along with the theory of all the social justice stuff, you got all the esteem, you were told these are moderates, the extreme wing of the Democratic Party is overstated, CRT theory is just about a bit of social justice. The experience of the joke is a very appropriate joke. Kid comes home from school and he says to his dad, listen, I've been, um, Teacher said, I must explain the difference between theory and practice. Joke works even better in Afrikaans. And um, can you help me? And the dad said, Yeah, no, sure, I can help you. He says, Go find your mother. Say to her, Mum, would you sleep with Steve Hoffmeyer for a million rand? The kid goes off and he comes back and he says to his mother, he says to his dad, oh, You know, Mum says she probably would. His dad says, Yeah, that's what he suspected. And he says, Go find your sister and ask her, but she sleep with Steve for a million rand? And he goes off and he comes back and says to his dad, "Now his sister said, for a million rand, for sure. And he said, you see, son, in theory, we could be millionaires, but in practice, we live here with a few hordes in the house. That's where it works better in Afrikaans. The... um. And I think this is what's happening in Virginia, is that uh, Gabriel says, guarding the Cubs, in in practice you are being told that your child is a racist delinquent because of the color of their skin, if they're white, or you're told that your child is a hapless victim with no agency or character if they're black. And it, it, it doesn't work on the ground. And so you get this groundswell of resistance. Now the mainstream American media doesn't reflect that; it denies it. The, I've got some great Democrat friends who I think are in denial about the the extent of this sense. So where does it play out? It plays out in an election, and this huge swing in such a short period of time in Virginia. I think the polls today, the two Fox polls, I think put uh, of the last two days put the Republicans just ahead. In yeah, in put, Virginia, I think this Young is what you're seeing, on, and I I think it's a it's a useful case study to South African institutions and schools and that are dabbling in this stuff, because you'll dabble in it, and there'll be controversies, and then you'll deny it, and you'll say it's not what it is, or like cricket authorities, you'll say that I mean there, there are cricket authorities around who are saying that that CRT and BLM. Has nothing to do with a broader uh, ideological agenda. I mean, it's 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 completely <laughs> ignorant of. I mean, it's written down on the BLM website what the agenda is, including yeah. you know bringing an end to the Trans-Pacific Partnership, closing down military bases around the world, uh, regulating banks and investment banks in different Just, ways. Destroying the
1: nuclear family was was on the website, but I believe they've removed and, it
0: now. They have and abolishing and, private schools. What I had to what I had to point out to to my uh, school that I'd attended, uh, who were dabbling in this, is that exactly as Gabriel says, one of the explicit bullet points is to bring an end to private education. So now how can you as a private school, I mean, uh, suppose a a centre of learning, of intellect, in the world endorsing a movement that wishes to bring down your own demise? I don't know if I've won that argument yet. uh, uh, Because you get the same kind of comment that, no, 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 you're wrong. It's, It's only about justice. You can... It's, it's like i told you earlier that for 15 20 years you get the sense that we've wasted our time but we haven't we've been quite effective but you do have the sense that you 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 warn people the lights will go out and they don't realize it i get the same sense of deja vu on crt here and around the world that you warn people about the consequences of this stuff they deny it and they say the light of liberty or freedom or the enlightenment which is really what CRT challenges will never go out. And yeah, now we're seeing the, the counter reaction in Virginia.
1: Okay, so there's no and, such and, thing
2: as just, a
0: flame
1: that can't be put out.
2: And yeah. Yeah, that's like a Jonah double point. Hey. Um, I I think that uh, it, it's good to come back, but let's just stay on America for one last thing. So I it's it I, I think in terms of the timing of the poll swinging – it seems that the controversy around um, the 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 Democratic governor candidate and Biden sort of speaking out against parents getting a say in the syllabus and saying the government should decide the syllabus, as well as this controversy about a transgender uh, a person uh, allegedly raping a girl in a girl's bathroom. No. Yeah. Uh, which, which you know, Tucker Carlson will tell you is a very straightforward story, and, and Nicholas Lorimer will tell you is quite a complicated story. Um, and, I, and I think that's to Lorimer's Look, credit. The, I I believe that the trans person did say that they had, quote-unquote,
1: messed up was their thing in the court. But this was, yeah, it wasn't a just straight up someone burst into a bathroom and then, like, aggressively raped someone. It was...
2: Uh, it's one complicated. Of kind of
1: he said, she said things, yeah.
2: She said, she said... Uh, to say he said, she said, is denying the trans person the right to, to define their own pronouns. We're not going to get into this too much. The, 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 the point but is that... On. It, As, yeah. Sorry,
1: one more thing, Gabriel. I was grilled the other day in a staff meeting for not believing women. In this case, which woman do we believe? <laughs> the trans one or the cis one?
2: <laughs> I, no, I don't know. I don't know. This is, <laughs> you, you've, you've hit like a, a logical cliff. Uh, after which is a mere abyss, <laughs> it's which you stare <laughs> and the abyss stares back into you. But so I think this is a serious test case um, for, and and let's see how it translates. I, my suspicion is that if the Democrats still sc- scrapes through, they won't take the lesson um, that if you if you push against people's interests, Uh, you'll get punished. They'll take the lesson that you can push against, and they'll complain, and it'll hurt you, but ultimately, you'll still get power. Um, That may play out. out. Might also not even be a a relevant scenario, because at the moment, the Republican candidate's in the lead. Um, But I do think that America's at an interesting place, and we've been talking about it on our podcast, but France has actually visited it uh, fairly recently. And I'm curious to know, sort of, what your what your sense was of this country that, you know, had in some ways one of the most advanced vaccine programs, the largest kind of distribution of wealth, to try and mitigate against uh, a very confused lockdown with its states rather than being fully unified in its response. Lots of different responses. The madness of tr- of of the of the 2020 election. It seems to me like in 2020 when people were saying this is a battle for the soul of America like this was maybe unhelpful hubris the stakes are very high but 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 right now it it seems to me like as an outsider like America i don't know that battle for its soul but like that its soul searching like i don't know that America knows what America is right now it seems very confusing from the outside and maybe that's just maybe i don't know what America is anymore i've had a pretty stable p- period of 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 loving that country in a very special way as the as the great superpower as the bringer of peace and stability and and foibles and and clumsiness and bad mistakes that i'm very critical of but ultimately the highest light of liberty in the world um and and i i'm very i was very distressed during the trump era and i'm very just but but i kind of felt like i could understand how this could work out right now Right now, I just feel very confused. So, how, how, how do people there? I don't know. What was your experience there?
0: No, I think you summed up well. Um, I mean, America was—I think for many of us—always kind of clear what it was, and you knew what to expect from it. It's very big, so you can't—I mean—travel around for a month and say what it's like. Uh, my, my, my impression. Is that in very blue states? There is a still overwhelming confidence in the result of of recently. Mm-hmm. Um, in borderline states, I think it swung back red. And I think in fully red states, there's in corners of well, in corners of all of it, in fact. Um, there's there's almost an, 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 they're these very, put it this way. You get the feeling that the Republican establishment, what you'd call the sort of respectable, decent Republicans, as all people should be, um, are very worried about the fringe and the influence of Donald Trump. And are scared to move against the fringe because if the fringe bites back, It denies them a a shot at the White House. Mm. And slowly within the Democrats, and, you know, good moderate Democrats, nothing wrong with them, um, there's a great fear of their hardline, extreme left, Marxist, is not too far a stretch flank. And the fear that if you criticize that flank, it could bite back in a way that splits the, Democrat block to such an extent as to allow the, the Republicans to win. So you you end up in this peculiar situation where both blocks have become so afraid of their shadows and the fringes that lurk in those shadows that they, they are they're hostages paralyzed. to their fringes. They're nearly right. paralysed. They've become and the fringes are are quite mad. Uh, it, to see it firsthand is. Mm. I mean, it is you. You. you it's, it's madness. Long ago, we went to Washington, and we were in the office of Jeff Flake, who was of Arizona. And his aide de camp, or I don't know what he is, chief of staff, security advisor, or something. We were discussing uh, things, and he said, "This was early. There, there's a problem in America." Because my boss needs to compromise when he's here, in, in, in Washington. And the Democrats need to compromise. Because this is how the American system works. We get elected, we get sent to Washington, we compromise a bit with each other and America works. But no one can compromise anymore. Because if it's heard that I gave one inch to the other side, Republican to Democrat, Democrat to Republican, I become unelectable at home. So I have to take this incredibly hard line against my best judgment, and then I am done. Uh, 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 as here, yeah, it doesn't work. The system going to break down, and I think this fringe business. And I, I thought then it was a hell of a good observation. And Flake,
2: right? Wasn't that the line? Flake uh, uh, sort of resigned in yeah. protest against uh, something and... after after his
1: fight with uh, Trump. I think he yes. decided not to vote for repealing Obamacare. He, he care,
0: wrote right? a great book. Um, uh, if you it lies on my desk as it happens he, he Conscience of the, a Conservative yeah. I'm
2: just reading it out because we're we're audio only but France has yeah, picked up conscience, conscience of a, of a conservative.
0: conservative it's the title which I think is, is a bit of a audacious thing to do of Barry Goldwater's excellent book that set the scene for all that's great about American conservatism so he set some of the scene for it and, um, and, yeah, and there's a story about the book that it was written somewhat in confidence because the advisors and so on would have said this is suicidal because so it's essentially an attack on Trump. And, um, and uh, yeah, so mm. Mm. What, what was said in that office, I don't know how long ago that was, probably six, seven, eight years ago, um, has actually manifested itself. And America can't work without compromise yeah i mean not you can't run it out of washington without compromise then you can't break not you?
2: so in a way don't you think i mean so there are a lot of theories about why this has changed like one is that social media has just sort of made discourse more um flagrantly hostile <coughs> can, Another I, reason- can, I,
1: can i make a proposal that we reject monocausal explanation so i Good. suspect that all of them are probably in the mix
2: here yeah that's probably right but so i wonder if if a precondition of compromise is something like in politics is something like patriotism is is the sense and and part of the reason i have this on on my mind is a south african thing where um some of the sort of uh nobless obligé uh, uh sort of well, ANC, a $5 word that one <laughs> anc caters who live in 5 million rand houses in the foothills of westcliff and stalk my facebook universe uh, have been saying, them, you know, terrible right wingers like Gabriel Krauser and Franz Krenner and whatever at the IRR say that you can't compel speech. You can't force people to kneel at a cricket match. But of course you can, because all the players can be forced to sing the national anthem. And I'm like, this is such an interesting oversight on their part of the political versus the national. There is something trans Of course, in in international politics sense, uh to sing for South Africa is not to sing for New Zealand. And, you know, bugger the new right. bugger the all blacks. We we beat them and I'm very glad. Uh but but within a body politic, within a nation state, there is something that transcends partisan politics or political agendas. And that is the national interest. Right. In America and, it used
1: to be opposition to the Soviets. That was the way it was mostly expressed.
2: France.
0: Yeah.
1: And and, you, and so you're you right. I'll
0: I'll give you the The explanation, it's audacious because I don't have what it takes to back it up, but that people need – the final stage of of capitalism is is a very peaceful, very prosperous, very happy world, which is really what the U.S. has become. There are no serious challenges left. There are no world wars. You're not going to fight anyone. You're not going to uh, fight the Soviets. You, you're not going to... I mean, go go back through US history. This has yeah, become the Nazis. a prosperous yeah. and peaceful era. Yeah. And when that happens, when you reach this level of utopia, uh, Americans think it's terrible and poor, but it's very, I mean, living standards are extraordinary. Of, of the poor, living standards of the poor are extraordinary. Well, when you yeah, reach when went... this utopia, people become very unhappy. They don't become happy Mm. because there's nothing left to fight for. And so they invent things. They manufacture causes and they begin to fight each other. So they manufacture the cause of climate, for example. I think the climate's changing. I think man's got something to do with the change. Some places it's very bad and some places it's good, but I don't think the the apocalypse. I mean, someone wrote it a We're not a dime 11, in a few years' time, Johannesburg. In a few years' time, you won't be able to play golf because it will be yes. too hot, and the temperature will have gone to you know thirty-five degrees. But uh, you can play golf on a thirty-five degrees; just need an umbrella, um, <laughs> uh, and, and you'll be fine. The um, and and critical race theory gets manufactured. So this manufactured, I mean, so the idea has always been around that the world is, is 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 decamped into two unbridgeable groups, uh, uh, black victims and white perpetrators, and they're in a fight to the death. And and these fights start to play out in the West now, because there's nothing else to fight for. I mean, you fight on climate, you fight on race, because there's no one else to go. We're going to invade. There's no one to invade. And the enemies of the free world learn, and I think that's already happening, uh, Russia, Iran, China, to exploit these fissures in Western society, to break consensus on national security policy and Cause Western governments to adopt policies that undermine their economic competitiveness, and this becomes the the final stage of 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 capitalism. You then get a great I don't know what happens next. You get a great probably breakdown and crash of society, and then you restart the process again. Hopefully, hmm. so that is what I would tell you. I think is happening in 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 one well, of if the I things. Put,
2: I'd like to push back against that a little bit. So I think it's a good theory. Uh, but then I look at a place that has a much higher standard of living, like South Korea, my favorite sort of liberal country, or like Sweden, um, where uh, a good mate uh, who we talk about on the podcast sometimes uh, has lived. You know, there they have this stuff, and I certainly see the signs of malaise. I see the suicide rates, um, the particularly people don't have children. Yeah. So and 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 so I. <laughs> I, 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 I think it, it, you know, next statement notwithstanding, that no single cause is enough of an explainer, is is isn't the other way to push back to say that America does face a very serious outside challenge, and that is from China, and and part of the change in thinking about that has been because Donald Trump managed amongst other things to kind of, you know, divide Americans about everything, but kind of change the consensus. But part of that is, is not just about messaging. Part of that is about hard facts. Xi Jinping has really changed how the CCP works and downstream of that, how China works. Uh, after Deng's reforms, uh, the cult of personality thing was really firmly pushed against. Like in the Soviet Union, there was never going to be another Stalin. There was never going to be another Mao. And then Deng got made sort of president for life, got his thought, constitutionalized, the only, you know, talk about a living constitution, uh, a nice sort of Democrat <laughs> ideal. Uh, China's taken that to the extreme. The living constitution is someone you can go shake hands with. Uh, and then in just this last year, the CCP's, uh, the triple CP's um, uh, punishment of uh, tech C- giant and- entrepreneurs, and- the ever ever grande uh, green thing, it, it, it seems to me like, uh, like if America wanted a rival to focus its energies and find some room for compromise, not as an exclusive project, but just as some way of finding common ground across the political aisle, then China's rise must afford it. That it, it's it is. So, can it,
1: I can I provide a historical example? So this is very overwrought, but everyone likes to compare America to, Ro- to Rome, right? And Yeah. Especially the American founding fathers. Exactly. They, they loved comparing themselves to Rome and learning from Roman history. So Rome reached this point where it became what I I'd describe uh, in a similar state to what Francis just described America as being, at least relatively speaking, which is it was decadent. Life was better there than pretty much anywhere else. Yeah, it had problems still, definitely. And compared to today, it had terrible problems. But for the time, the
2: problems weren't so bad. Luxus. Luxus means luxury, also just means excess. It means more than enough to eat. Right. So they they set they they settled in into
1: a pattern of decadence. They thought we'll never, we'll never lose. The empire is untouchable. It'll go on forever. And we should now focus all of our energies on fighting over who gets to be in charge. And they did. And they did it for centuries and centuries. And slowly the rot weakened it from within until eventually they were so blinkered in hating their internal enemies that literally, as hordes of Vandals and Goths and, and, uh, and Alans and all these groups were crossing the frontiers into the empire and the armies weren't able to fight them off anymore, they were being invited in by local provincial governors who were hoping to use them as a battering ram against their political opponents. Uh, one of the crippling blows to the Roman Empire was when they lost North Africa, which was the big grain produced for Italy, because it used to have very fertile uh, uh, coasts. Yeah. And, and climate change. Yeah, and then climate change. <laughs> um, and the Vandals and the Alans captured it, and that was precisely because the governor of the province feared that the emperor was going to order his execution, and so invited them into the province to come and assist him so that he could fight a civil war. And I I have a terrible feeling that Republicans and Democrats have become a bit like that, that their hatred for each other is so great uh, 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 over uh, differences that actually from the outside don't always seem that great, Um, that they will completely ignore the rise of China. And the question, I guess, is, is Gabriel, uh, I mean, I agree they definitely have a chance to shake themselves out of this decadence because they now have a proper geopolitical uh, rival. But I would think that they've only recently begun to wake up to that fact,
2: and it's still not clear that they're taking it more seriously than their internal enemies. Okay, so my question comes out of extending your historical analogy. I think a better comparison to Rome is the UK. And one of the ways you figure that is that the UK prime minister is the only famous person i know of who says really your target should be the greeks that's who you should want to compare yourself to the original democracy the romans to the greeks were very much like the uk to to the americans the romans and the americans slightly more crass much larger empire uh the brits and the greeks were more high for luton but but here's the extension right if 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 the brits were actually the romans then that means that the Yanks are the Byzantines or the, are the East Romans or the late no, Roman empire good. or what <laughs> happens after, you know, the fall of the, of, of the Roman empire, something like world war two, the UK hands, the baton, uh, you know, London to Washington is as Rome is to, to Constantinople, Constantinople and the sack of Constantinople. There are a couple, uh, but the, the earlier one, uh, as Nick has mentioned before, you know, is an even worse example of like uh, uh, competing candidates for rulership, trading with the enemy right. to storm them into the gates. That's, and that's, you... that's
1: 1204 when the uh, uh, the one of the claimants to the Byzantine throne convinces uh, the Venetians and some Crusaders to help him sack his
2: own capital city so that he can put himself on the throne. So that's how the Third Crusaders end up sacking a Christian. Fourth city. Crusade. Fourth Crusade, exactly. Sorry, Third is the goodie. OK, so similarly, you know, Washington Capitol riot, which was actually in Seattle or San Francisco or whatever it was, San Fran riot on the Capitol Hill. Wait, San Fran is California, not Washington. One of those states up there. Uh, if, if, if China had helped the rioters uh, defund the police, uh, the, the rioters would have accepted that help on a pragmatic basis, I'm sure you know we'll take the inner 5 suburbs and you take the next three streets uh, and just make sure that the the trump doesn't send in the army and and the mayor will make sure that that doesn't happen so make sure that the police don't come in here the, the this seems like a plausible argument here and uh, it's to say that the china's if it does defeat it, in a sense not defeat but if if america loses to china it won't be because america's playing at its best it'll be because it's internally uh, conflicted, but if it's more like the Western, like the Byzantines, isn't the lesson from 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 the Middle Ages that there comes a point after the success, decadence, and then collapse of a grand empire, in which the thing to bet on is a small, nimble, nimble country, uh, a, a, a city state, or in 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 today's terms, like a small country, that. Somehow, culturally, technologically, has just uh, managed to navigate the the choppy waters of these grand clashes and actually take advantage of the fact that this is not a World War II scenario. You're looking at this is not grand civilizations beating each other at their best level. In which case, you have to join in these alliances and be very firm. This is actually them not playing their best. So, as a small guy, you can kind of rise up. And, and catch interesting sunshine. Is this after the burning of the grand forest in the Amazon with the two hundred meter trees? Now the saplings get a get a chance to grow. This is my question to France. Should we be betting on small, nimble countries going into? I the
0: think country? that you. One of the outcomes here is both America and China have weaknesses. That it's more. I don't know who Someone in our group made this point. It's it's a. It's it's very much a battle between two fading powers. I mean China for all its influence really will struggle to project and sustain a military presence outside of the South China Sea. It's it's a huge undertaking to do that and it stresses its resources. And and the US is is in some respects a fading power. Otherwise we wouldn't have this discussion. And one of the ways that a conflict between two fading powers is is resolved is not that the one triumphs over the other but that in the in the broader fallout and instability, uh, our old argument, enclaves, uh, what our friend Bronwyn Williams calls citadels, emerge, and they do very well. Uh, uh, I mean, if you've listened to us, you know all about the enclave argument. The state retreats. Uh, Tech makes it possible for smaller communities to take upon themselves what once the functions of the state. And you get this, this enclave thing playing out. Um, so I think that's that's a plausible uh, outcome to all of this but I want to rewind you Gabriel about two minutes back you you said well what if China had a sort of a role in in undermining the policing effort and it's it's nothing as explicit as that but you I think you're getting close to something important which which is the the diplomatic brilliance of China's slow influencing efforts around the world, which in the the case of the United States, I mean, you do have critical race theory. It comes out of the US, but I think it's being fermented globally on a far greater scale by um, countries that have an interest in weakening the West, because the West has become impregnable for, in terms of traditional attacks. You can't what is the, the West,
2: France?
0: Is, is, is the Israelis. You can't attack Israel. It's surrounded by enemies. You can't attack it. It's got to a point now if you fire a mortar shell at, at Israel, they shoot it out of the sky like a clay pigeon. It's amazing. It's France, I agree.
2: How, is Israel and in the West?
0: Therefore, Japan's Israel also in the West to do harm to the West. And China's run by revolutionary ideologues, and revolutionary ideologues do only one thing. They pursue that revolution the ends of the earth. If you want to if you want to and the west gets grown confident in its in its in in its security in its sort of traditional national security structures and policies if you want to if you want to break through those defenses you can walk right through them they offer no resistance if you if you ferment a poisonous ideology within the society of your adversary and that ideology to work we need to do two things the first, it would need to fracture Western societies away from the idea that we're individuals that, that have the sort of patriotic interest in, in being successful to wear two camps, One black, one white is how it will work in the West. Second thing you've got to do once you've, fract- once you've fractured Western opinion along those lines then you make it impossible to get consensus on national security policy. So you can't make yeah. China a big enemy because you're going to have this sort of sense that, well, we shouldn't project our our, our military power around the world because that was kind of what the West did to colonize people. It's democracy. Democracy doesn't work when people are in racial silence. The, exactly. The second thing you need to do is cause the West to take counterproductive economic decisions. Which they are doing in many spheres, uh, global tax floors and climate and energy is the best example. I mean, the Europeans are running out of energy because they've turned off their power stations.
2: It's similarised. <laughs> <laughs> it's similar to us. Paying, it's similar to us, but it's more direct. At least the Americans honest. are
0: paying <laughs> far too much for petrol because they they, they don't want to have pipelines. That, that, that bring energy so they could go we're afraid uh, of
2: in- wealth people are afraid of getting richer somehow yeah no
0: that's, and, no, yeah. no
2: and i can yeah.
0: substantiate it a little bit it's a it's a it's the uh a uh, subject of a, a document that i've been working on for some time that if someone put it to you that china russia and iran have seen no advantage to themselves at all in pressing these ideas deep into Western societies. Would you believe that that was plausible? They'd missed this. <laughs> so think I would help? simply
2: laugh. I would not argue against it because that would be a hilarious and absurd kind
0: of... <laughs> <laughs> so I think you're close to something. I think that it's, it's, it's how you... And it, it totally disables Western defences.
2: Okay, but uh, my question. It, it, can, can I ask a follow-up question about this? Yes, I think that you're perfectly right. The, the the vested interests of Tehran, Moscow, Beijing, antithetical to Moscow, London, Berlin, and so on down the line, uh, especially Seoul. And, you, uh, you and mentioned Pyongyang. Moscow
1: on both sides of the divide, there, Gabriel.
2: Well, what that's because it is on both sides. <laughs> Allegedly, according to you. Look. I no, France, I really do take your point. Here's 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 my concern. Kwame Anthony Appiah, uh, and this means if you guys have a drink, you have to have a drink. Shot. <laughs> he 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 teaches us a lesson in moral revolutions. And I think if one is and, and I think his lesson is uh amongst other things, if if you wanna if if you see that private values aren't translating into the public square. Then you need to find a group of allegiance. You need to find a code of conduct, an honor code that goes with that group of allegiance uh, that, that really activates people in ways that make them robust against the slings and arrows of insult that they get for breaking the trend uh, and for staying empirically sensitive to their attitudes so that they don't just themselves become dogmatists and 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 this is the challenge you've you've how do you find legions that does it and i think citizenship does that i think lots of community things do that families do that there, there are lots of groups that seem to offer a resistance to the kind of uh, brutal religious authoritarianism of tehran the overt return to communism in beijing and the kind of i think national socialism might be a better description of
1: what's going on in beijing
2: well i was going to say in moscow you have a kind of combination of the two uh, of 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 it, it's a strange thing because it's it, it's a nominal democracy it's a little bit like a repeated dictatorship like an old school roman mistake of of not thinking parliament matters and just thinking that your that your executive matters and voting in the tsar uh, feudalism let's say the the, the, the concern to me is this. As tempting as it is through citizenship, because it's the best structure for pushing against that, in my opinion, as an American citizen, we find a return to patriotism as a transcendence of, of partisan and race politics by focusing on those enemies. That's, a, that's, that's good. But the mistake, I think, would be to locate the source of those ideas from those enemies, I don't see wokeness as a virus. I see it as a cancer. And I think that is like a, a socio political distinction. No, 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 that's right. It comes I mean from W.E.B. Du Bois, Hegel, Teichka, yeah. Joseph Kontlib Herder. These, these guys have had these ideas.
0: The source is uh, the West, but the, the, the adversaries of the West are learning how to use these internal Western maladies to their advantage. May, may before, I pouring fertilizer on the cancer? Neat.
2: What that, yeah, yeah, an infection we should figure out if there's an infection that takes advantage of cancer. To,
0: to, may I, <laughs> yeah. may I say something that Gabriel and I must present ourselves for dinner in an hour and oh, Gabriel yes. must still find his valet? I find it. I put it to you, Gabriel, tonight that you have a valet who has your tuxedo and you must go and. See you can't. It's all true. And and I don't have to call it. I, I have to dress myself. And um that means that I I do need to get moving or else I will be late. Yes, no. So we should probably bring we- it to a close there
1: because we've
2: gone very far. Uh no, we're not quite finish? a close. I no, You have to no, France has to France has to answer we have to take it back home to South Africa before what we go. To- Okay, well then, loudest we, okay. playing. The, 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 the return to cybering question is, here's what I think is going to happen on Monday. Uh, we're going to suffer the same kind of problem that America seems to be suffering from and various constitutional democracies, various reason-responsive governments, various elements of what you guys call the West. I don't want to call it the West. <laughs> but yeah, we're going to see that people's common sense is not going to prevail over our government we're going to see that a a kind of wedge has been lodged in between cause and effect between what you really think is true and what you're prepared to commit to on the public square and 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 that's going to look like the ANC just holding on to its majority the DA shrinking badly from its 2016 performance even though uh it's it's generally had very good uh government performance where it's really been in control action sa emerging as a small national force but a major frustrator of the da uh in in Joburg, not ideologically necessarily but just in terms of votes uh and the eff is gonna grow and i think to myself how badly have we fed? like why are south africans should one just give up on the thought that we're going to get it right? How do we How do we think about hmm.
0: uh, what you, the election What you'll hear on Tuesday and Wednesday is that the ANC got fifty percent. Gabriel says just over fifty. I'm going to say just under fifty. And you're going to hear that the DA got twenty, one, twenty two, something like that. And and you're going to think, oh, you know, um, when you add the EFF, they're going to get about twelve, 30. thirteen. You're going to think, well, the 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 ANC block has sixty three, it's going nowhere, and the DA's got twenty, and the rest all seem a bit small. I think it's the wrong way to think about it. The parties might tell you to think that way, but I don't think they're thinking through this properly. But actually, if you add, if you look at the DA. You will see that what it's lost has really gone to Herman Mashaba and ASA and Johannesburg. You'll you'll get about Johannesburg, probably above 10. And the DA will come down by about 10. It's gone a bit to the freedom front and a bit to some other bits and pieces. The ANC block's going to have about 60%. That other block is going to have about 40%. And I think it's intelligent to start thinking about that other block as a block the leaders of the parties might not be able to get on with each other. They, they might just fight and squabble and 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 all those irritating things. But in fact, whether you voted for the Freedom Front or whether you voted for Herman Mashaba, or whether you voted for the DA, whether you voted for the ACDP, in the greater scheme of things, you are in a block of people who share uh, uh, somewhat similar values and have a common interest in dislodging the ANC. And if that block, if you think of yourself as that block, you'll realize that you're actually much closer to that point of unseating an ANC government than the face value results or the comments of the leaders of parties are going to get you to believe. And it would be a very good thing if those party leaders could get over themselves. And, and they are independent and they do their own thing but if there are 10 major issues south africa faces i'm sure we could get to a point where we could convince them that they agree on six or seven of those and on those six and seven they should act as a as a as a coordinated forum to work towards the defeat of the anc in 2024 and at that point nick gabriel's going to be late i can see it already i'm i'm going I'm gonna to get there, i'm going to
2: get there before you we will we'll be there in time
0: Okay. You. You. Yes. Well, you're. All right. I mean, I. I do have to dress myself, uh, Gabriel. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, no. Ballet butler
1: to attend to his every need. Um. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I. 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 just want to really thank you, France, for coming on. Yeah. Uh, I think this was well, great. On, and I wish Thanks, you had next time. Next. Um. Before we go, though, I think we should do recommendations. But very quickly, Gabriel, do you have a recommendation? If not, I can go ahead. You go ahead, Nick. Okay. So this is a story that will be appearing on the Daily Friend probably on Sunday in the news section. But I, uh, it originally comes from El Monitor, which is in a Middle Eastern English news site. Syrians to be deported for eating bananas provocatively in Turkey. And I will just read that <laughs> headline and we'll have to read
0: more. <laughs> Franz, do you have any recommendations? France,
2: please give us a recommendation.
0: For what to read? Book anything, Anything.
2: tweets, story, movie, TV,
1: anything.
0: Now, a great recommendation of what one should, yes, a turkey. You should cook a turkey. People don't cook turkeys enough. Mm. I agree, Um, I agree 100%. We are cooking a turkey tomorrow evening, and I'm so pleased about that. If you want to. Please yourself and those around you. Go and find a turkey and cook a mm. turkey somewhere in the middle of the year for no reason. Mm. That's my recommendation.
2: Cheers to that! hundred percent agreed, Gabriel. And my and my recommendation. I'm going to Thanksgiving is 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 the best name of a holiday. If you think that Thanksgiving, if uh, I w- I was talking to someone about how I'm exci- excited for Thanksgiving. Halloween's coming up, and I lived in America long enough that I've got the sense just in my, like, how when you see the blossoms, you know summer's coming. Uh, after Halloween comes Thanksgiving and then Christmas. And the, the the standard pushback is, but isn't that a terrible celebration of colonialism? This is such a good place to, to just experience the difference. Uh, and if you want to learn, is, is, is cooking a turkey. It's a mission. It's an interesting thing to do. It's big enough that you have to share it around. And it's so nice that you're going to just feel happy by the end of it, if you, if, you, if you don't, even if you screw it up, it'll be uh, a story. Good fun. Yeah. 100%. Um, but I think that uh, if, if you wanna look into it further, check out, check out the Blood of Tears. And because Alec Baldwin has been on the front of everyone's mind, think about when revolvers came into play. If you think the Wild West stories are colonialism, which a lot of South Africans that I know do, they think these guys came with revolvers and like mowed down Native Americans. Uh, look into when the Long Walk of Tears actually was. This was this was long after all of that. Thanksgiving was begun at a beautiful time uh, when when people were forced pragmatically to to, to find solutions. Uh, the story of a, a long hard winter and then a reconciliation and and a go forward with a bit of charity. It's a great story. Amen. All right. and the thank best thing much. is to give thanks over turkey and thank you so much for joining us france this has been something it great we thanks, both man. wanted to do for a very long time yeah and uh, uh keep the
1: flag and, of
2: and 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 just a warning we're going to drag you on once more before you leave as yes. CEO of the no, and and
0: then, the then after too. please i'd definitely. love to come back yeah. definitely but, yeah, but once before so that you'll flag. tell
2: all our listeners who know anything about the IRR what you're doing next Yes, yeah, so we didn't You're have time
1: the, for today. There seems You're to
2: be a problem with the, the sound. Nick, the reason France is running away, I could He doesn't it. want to get to the.
0: <laughs> there seems to be. Um, <laughs> like, it must be the load shedding. Yes, um, no, it's
1: definitely the cause.
0: Definitely the load shedding. <laughs> have a lovely evening. Good night.
1: Uh, let me let me try to land this for the third time. Keep the flag of liberty flying. <laughs> you <sweat>